All righty, all righty. Good morning. How are y'all? Good, good job. That was pretty good. We're doing, getting better at that. Um, I am glad that y'all are here today. Uh, you know, it's actually amazing that you're here uh, on a lot of fronts. Uh, first of all, it's the week before spring break, and so that usually begins to kind of take some people out a little bit. Uh, secondly, it was six degrees on Thursday, it felt like, and I realized that for Texans, that usually affects their mental capacity for about a week, and so the fact that you're able to kind of keep rolling and moving on, that's a good thing. And then it was daylight savings time yesterday, all right? So the fact that you were here here this morning, and it was raining, and I know how awesome nights are during the rain, it actually proves that God exists, all right? That's my sermon for the day. That's it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I'm really glad that y'all are here. Um, it is good to be here. So grab your Bibles. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 10. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be some under every second and third chair somewhere around you. If you physically don't own a Bible, would you please take and keep that one? Um, we want you to have the Bible. We want you to be able to use it uh, during the week, and so that's our gift to you, so you can um, feel free to snatch that and grab that um, out of here. You can also follow along on your smartphone if you wish, if you have the YouVersion app, or some people call it the Bible app. Underneath the live uh, section where the tabs are, you can type in the Well Austin, uh, and you can follow along on that way. There are notes, um, poll questions, places to give and pray. You can pretty much do everything on your phone. If you don't have that or can't seem to find it, you could take that link and put it right into your browser, and you'll be able to follow along in that way. Um, so whatever works for you, we would love for you to follow along. Okay, so some of you probably realize when you grabbed your bulletin and maybe you looked at it and you looked at what we were covering today, that it's actually the same passages of scripture that we went over last week, all right? And so some of you may be wondering why, okay? It is not because I thought that Bob did a bad job and I got to kind of cover in his tracks at all, okay? That's not what's going on. Um, we actually purposely planned this. This was by design um, because last week, just to recap you in case you weren't here or um, have forgotten or whatever, um, Bob kind of gave the analogy of Jesus being the shepherd and us being the sheep, as scripture does. And what he hit on in that analogy was us being sheep, okay? He really focused on the fact that Jesus calls us his sheep, okay? And essentially, Bob's message was, sheep are dumb and you are sheep. So... <laughs> If A equals B and B equals C, then A must equal C, right? And some of you are like, what does that mean? That proves the point of what he was saying. No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. That was a joke. That was a joke. Come on. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, uh, sheep are not the most self-sustaining of creatures, right? That's what Bob was really hitting at. They may not necessarily be dumb per se, but they're definitely not very self-sustaining. They need the help of a shepherd in order to help keep them alive. Sheep, when they're left by themselves, tend to do things that are destructive to their own nature. And they don't purposefully do it, but they're sheep. They don't know much better, right? And so when Jesus says that we are his sheep, it isn't necessarily the cutest of analogies. And although you may think sheep are kind of cute and some of you all may feel a little bit cute, that's okay because sheep are a little bit cute. But ultimately, the bigger picture of that is that sheep need a shepherd in order to survive. They need a shepherd in order to help them. And so this is what we focused on. How do we operate as sheep? And do we actually live our lives as if we need Jesus to survive? Or do we live our lives as if we're self-sufficient? right? Because sheep aren't very self-sufficient, but many of us try to be self-sufficient. We try to reject Jesus, leave him kind of off to the side, or only bring him in when he's a commodity. But it says, no, we need Jesus all the time, 
right? And so this is what Bob was talking about. Today, I want to flip the coin a little bit, and I actually want to look at Jesus as shepherd. So last week, we looked at us as sheep, and I want to look at Jesus as shepherd, and then actually slide into the fact that he says something extremely significant in the middle of this dialogue with the people that are listening about the sheep in general, okay? So we're going to kind of look at Jesus and then see what are the results of Jesus being a shepherd? How do we respond as his sheep, all right? So let's go ahead, uh, cook it up, dive in. John chapter 10, verse one. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold, but by the door, uh, I'm sorry, by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Okay, so Jesus is telling them that he is essentially the shepherd of the sheep, right? And you know, I tried to actually find a video of a shepherd with a sheep, okay? But all of them were either far too long, like it was like nine minutes, so that would be most of the sermon, you know, if they're watching the video, or it was really, really bad quality. And so I figured putting it up, you wouldn't really be able to see, but it's actually a very astoundingly amazing thing, okay? There's one video I saw in particular where there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sheep, okay? Like hundreds of them, okay? Like a whole field of sheep, all right? And all of the sheep, by the way, looked very, very similar to the rest of the sheep, right? Like uh, when I was in China, it was really funny because they said that they thought all white people looked alike. And when I'm in America, they all say like, hey, all Asians kind of look alike, right? And so when you're not a part of somebody, you can't really tell what they look like. So maybe because I'm not a shepherd, the sheep actually do look different and I'm just not in that culture or whatever it may be. But in my mind, they all look either like a sheep with white or sheep with some black or some spots and that's it, right? And there are like three, 400 of these sheep and the shepherd walks up to this gate and he yells out this little like weird yodel kind of sounding sound and literally from the middle of all of these sheep come like 30, 40 sheep that come like squeezing out in between the rest of the sheep and then come running to the shepherd, Okay, now he doesn't actually uh, even count them. It's not like he tries to figure out like, hmm, do I have every one of my sheep? Where's Betsy at? I don't see her in here, right? He doesn't do that. Literally, he just kind of knows that they're gonna follow. As they begin to walk toward him, he turns around and begins to walk away and all the other sheep just stay right? Because their shepherds, I guess, aren't here. So when Jesus says this in a culture that's used to dealing with sheep that are used to seeing this type of thing, they understand what he's talking about here, right? Jesus says that the sheep know my voice and they what? They follow, right? So Jesus is saying, once I call out to the sheep, they hear and then they then go respond, right? They come and they follow. And so Jesus says, this is who I am. I am the shepherd to the sheep. And so this is important because it says a lot about Jesus that he is a good shepherd that would call out to his sheep in this way. Not a distant God, as some of us would like to often think, right? God's not way out there in eternity and that's the only place that he is and untouchable, but actually he comes down in the form even of a shepherd, one of the most intimate things and interacts with us in that way, showing that God is both the God of eternity, but also the God of today, that he's intimate with us, 
right? God longs to know us in a very real way, okay? But what happens? The people miss this spiritual truth, which by the way, if you've been here, this is what? The hundredth time that we've mentioned that? Every time Jesus gives an analogy in John, they tend to miss the spiritual truth. They're not really sure what's going on. And so Jesus goes into a little bit deeper. And so let's go with them. Let's not us miss the spiritual truth either. Verse seven, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now he changes, now he's the door, okay? All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Okay, so Jesus makes some very bold, some very amazing claims here. But there's two of them I actually want to highlight and they're both tucked in with verse 11. Okay, so if you're reading your Bible, go back to verse 11, put your finger there. I want to look at two kind of separate things that Jesus says that are very important. First of all, he says that he's the good shepherd. Right? You see at the first part of that sentence there, he is the good shepherd, okay? Now, much like Bob had to shift our minds on what sheep were last week, not just these cute beings, but they're kind of self or not very self-sufficient beings. They need a shepherd. I need to shift our minds real quick on what a shepherd is, okay? We got to think a little bit differently about a shepherd because most of us, when uh, Westerners at least, when we think about a shepherd, we kind of think about like a cuddly guy, right? Carrying a little fluffy sheep on his back, kind of caressing it as he's walking right? Don't lie to me. I know y'all think like that. Am I the only person that thinks like that? This is what we think of when we think of Jesus. Show these pictures. Don't lie. You know that's what you think of, isn't it? Because it was in your Sunday school class, right? Go to the next one. Look at that. You know, I know you've seen that picture before. You probably have it up, okay? That tends to be what we tend to think of when we think of a shepherd, right? Is somebody that's like that, the sheep around the shoulders or in the arms, kind of loving them. We think of prairies and gently flowing water streams, right? Hugging the sheep. But this isn't the picture that anybody would get if they were, in fact, a shepherd or even were around shepherds, right? They would get a very, very different. Uh, shepherding sheep is extremely difficult. It's a very, very, very difficult thing. That's why today we try to use dogs more so to do it than humans because it's very hard to be a shepherd of sheep, right? Uh, though it's very intimate, hence he knows them by name. There is an intimacy with it. There's also a very extreme difficulty within it. It was very hard to take care of sheep. And so Jesus isn't painting one of these pictures that we see in our Sunday school class, right? That's not the picture that he's painting when he says, I am the shepherd. That's the picture that we see and there's intimacy there and that's totally fine, okay? But ultimately he's pitching a little bit of a different picture, okay? It's a very hard job. <clears throat> and so Jesus says, hey, I'm the good shepherd. I kill the wolves, I kill the bears. When the robbers come, I will risk my life to try to shoo the robbers away. I will do what it takes to make sure the sheep are protected. I am a good shepherd, right? Secondly, though, it's a very rugged, a manly job, right? Something that is very hard to do. Okay, secondly, though, uh, and I need you to listen to this and get this. Jesus didn't serve as an example when he said that he laid down his life for the sheep, okay? He did not serve as an example, 
Okay, what do I mean by that? Sometimes I think we get the gospel mixed up in this very passage because we're not thinking about it correctly, okay? Jesus' death, hear me, Jesus' death did not serve as an example. The assumption is that the sheep are in danger. That's the assumption, right? The robbers come, the hired hands leave, the sheep are kind of out there by themselves, the thieves come in, right? If you're a shepherd, you know that the uh, sheep kind of wander off sometimes and there are wolves around those areas. There are, are bears around those areas. The assumption is that the sheep are in grave danger, right? They need help. They need a shepherd, okay? So what do I mean by that? Like, if, uh, did Jesus take, here's what we often think of, and we'll never say it like this, which is why I'm going to say it for us, okay? But this is what we think of when we think of Jesus. We think of him like taking the sheep to like the edge of a cliff or something, running, jumping off, and turning around and bellowing out to them as he's kind of falling. Look at how much I love you. Look at how much I love you, right? As he's kind of falling to his death. That tends to be what we think. And you say, well, no, I don't. Well, let me show you. Yes, you do. This is an asinine thought when we think like this, okay? Without realizing it, we frequently paint Jesus as an example rather than a necessary substitute that was on our very behalf. We were in danger and he came and took the danger for us. We often think of the example that Christ laid down rather than the absolute need of him laying down his life, right? Like I wouldn't jump out in front of a car to show my wife how much I loved her, right? What kind of sense does that make? That makes no sense, right? However, because I do in fact love her, if a car was coming toward her, I would jump and push her away from the car, maybe even taking the damage myself, right? Jesus wasn't setting an example for us. He was actually jumping out and pushing us away from the oncoming car. Jesus was the atonement that we needed to be right with God, right? So let me say it more plainly. Jesus didn't die for you to show and prove to you that he loves you. He loved you and that's why he died in the first place. He wasn't trying to show you. It was the fact that he loved you why he died. He wasn't an example. You were in danger, Okay, Jesus had to die because sheep are in danger from a very real enemy, not just Satan, but even the wrath of God itself. Okay, the gospel says that sin separates us from God, right? That without Christ, we are separated. We are trying to find our way toward God. We need him. We are feeling our way toward him. And that if we die without having faith in Christ, we will forever be separated from God. That's the bad news, if you will, of the good news story is that we are in danger. And when we don't think that we're in danger, guess what? We don't think that we need a shepherd. And so when Jesus says that he is our good shepherd, we have to realize that we are actually needing a very good shepherd to shepherd us. We need that very shepherd. We are in danger without him. Without him, we are a sheep that has gone astray and that's wandering around about to get eaten by a wolf, right? About to fall off a cliff, about to starve because we can't feed ourselves or thirst to death because we can't drink from moving waters or whatever it may be right? We need a shepherd, okay? And so we have to understand the, uh, uh, if you will, bad news part of this is that we are needy people. So when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, I lay down my life, he's not saying, I do this as an example. He's saying, you're in trouble. You need me. I will die for you. That's the beautiful part of the gospel is that Jesus comes and he actually absorbs the wrath of God for us. What was in danger to us, Jesus came and defeated, right? Or absorbed. And so the wrath of God can now be shifted off of us onto Jesus. Death, we talked about a few weeks ago, we no longer have to fear death because Jesus died and then defeated death for us. Jesus is not just our example. He's actually our substitute. He's the person who atones for us right? And so Jesus didn't just serve as an example. That's why we say he is worthy to be worshiped. 
That's why we try to motivate us to worship every week because we have to remember he's not just an example. He's literally everything. He is what we need. Without him, we are in deep, deep danger. But with him, he's a very good shepherd who knows his sheep intimately, who he wants a deep relationship with. Right? And so there's an important piece here. And we have to get our minds right about what a shepherd is, right? Jesus did pay the price for us so that we can know him in an intimate way, right? Let's keep reading. Verse 15, or verse 16, I guess. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Who lays down his life? Jesus. Who takes his life up again? Jesus. Jesus is over, right? Even his own death. He's saying, I'm coming. I'm going to die that the sheep may know me. And then I'm going to regain my life that I may give it back to them. Right? Jesus is not just an example, a substitute though, right? Verse 18, no one takes it from me, praise the Lord, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again division amongst the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So as Bob talked about last week, we're still coming off the story of the man born blind and Jesus is opening his eyes and he's making these radical claims, right? You need me. I'm the shepherd. I'm the gate that you can come in and out of. I'm the fold. I'm everything to you is what Jesus is painting, right? You need me. You need me, okay? Now, there's a really important phrase though in verse 16. So thinking about the gospel, right, which many of us understand, many of us have even come to believe in Jesus. We do have a relationship with him as a shepherd. We may not live like that in perfection, but we're trying to submit ourselves to the shepherd to know him and to love him. Many of us feel that, right? So then there's a very important phrase that Jesus gives on the cusp of this really important statement that he lays down his life, that he's the good shepherd. And is there in verse 16, right? And I have other sheep, there are not of this fold. I have other sheep. There are other sheep. There are other sheep. There are other sheep. There are other sheep. That's a very important phrase, okay? Because sometimes we get very possessive of the shepherd, not realizing that there are other sheep out there that need a shepherd themselves and that want to follow the good shepherd right? There are other sheep. It's not just those who have already placed their faith in Christ, but there are actually other sheep as well that Jesus says, I need to. I have to. There is a necessity about me going and finding these other sheep as well, right? I have other sheep that I want to enter into this fold, right? And so for the remaining part of the sermon, that's what I want to focus on actually is the other sheep aspect of this beautiful message. There's such beauty that the gospel is so plainly laid out here that if you believe in Jesus, he is now your shepherd. You get a loving shepherd to love you and to feed you and to take care of you and to comfort you and to protect you. That is beautiful. Then he says, there are other sheep though, right? that do not have that same thing yet, but they need that same thing. They even want that same thing. And I have to go find them too. And so that's what I want to focus on the rest of the sermon, okay? The Wells mission statement, all right, is to make much of Jesus by reproducing disciples who impact the world for the glory of God, all right? Loaded statement, I know, but we kind of break those down into four different categories. I think I have a PowerPoint of that. Um, Maybe, maybe not. There we go. 
okay? Um, so if you've done the Covenant Community class, uh, you've walked through some of these things, right? We actually highlight each one of these, and under all of these, we kind of highlight different things that we feel like God's calling us to do as a church holistically, okay? Today, I want to focus on who impact the world portion of that sentence, right? What is a church? How do we actually show off the good shepherd to other people around us? How do we help gather in other sheep? Because there are other sheep. Right? I don't want you to lose that important phrase there. There are other sheep that are not in the fold yet that Jesus says he wants to redeem. He wants to bring them in, okay? So that's what I want to focus on. Underneath the banner of the well, the ch church focuses on three things underneath the who impact the world section, okay? First, we focus on serving Austin, all right? That plays out in different ways, like the ADRN training that we did on Thursday, okay? Uh, how do we help with people uh, go through uh, natural disasters? How can we be there for them, okay? Things like serving this school, Campbell Elementary, the mentoring, the many different ways that we kind of serve the school, things like redeemed ministries who helps with uh, uh, human trafficking and tries to rescue the women out who are being trafficked in. We are trying to serve Austin in many different ways, okay, in hopes that people will be touched through this service, hear the goodness of Jesus, realize that he's a shepherd, and be moved into a relationship with him, right, that they would be a reproducing disciple. See how they feed into each other, the mission statement there? And so we want to serve in hopes that they too become disciples, okay? That's one banner that we focus on underneath who impact the world. The second banner is church planting, okay? We want to be a church planting church. That means we want to send out and actually plant other churches. We don't want to just be a church ourselves, but actually go and plant other churches. Our prayer goal is actually that the well would be able to plant 100 churches in, uh, in my lifetime, Okay, 100 churches. I could literally talk about that for hours, so I'm actually going to skip right past that because I'm a little bit passionate about that, okay? That'll come back around in a few weeks, all right? So keep that under your belt. But um, we want to be a church playing church, okay? The third banner underneath impacting the world is through missions, okay? Missions. And so flooded throughout scriptures, even in a passage like this, that's a super gospel-oriented passage, that's a very uh, uh, us and Jesus-oriented passage, he has to talk about the other people, right? If you're reading the Bible in a year with us, over and over and over again, you'll see, even when he's talking to his elect nation, Israel, he continually talks about the other people. He says, I want you to be a light for the world that other people would know. I'm going to come down and do all these miracles in Egypt. Why? The other people may know. And we see that. We see Egyptians going with the Israelites, kind of becoming Israelites, almost getting saved, if you will. We see when uh, uh, Joshua goes in that Rahab believes. Why? Because she heard about the Lord, do these great works. God is continually trying to do things, trying to draw the world to himself. So even in a very gospel-oriented passage, he says, there are other people. There are other people that we want to draw in right? There are other sheep that need to hear the beauty of the gospel. And so it's clear that God wants an intimate relationship, not just with us who know, but even with the rest of the world as well, that they would come to know who he is, okay? And so underneath this banner of missions, right, we have three categories, okay, that we divide it into. Local, 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 international, international, international. And I'll explain those in a minute because that makes no sense if you just say it like that, okay? But uh, the reason we're focused on this is because Jesus said that he has other sheep, okay? So let me ask you a question then, highlighting the fact that Jesus said he has other sheep. Did Jesus personally gather all the sheep while he was here on earth? Did Jesus gather all the sheep while he was here on earth? That's not a trick question, all right? 
Were you with Jesus? <laughs> Do you know Jesus? A lot of you will say yes to that. So then no, Jesus did not gather all of them, okay? Then, therefore, now did he die for all of them? Did he make the gathering possible? Yes. Jesus' death was sufficient, which is why he even highlights, remember, we are needy, we are in danger. He's a shepherd. He lays down his life. He puts it down. He takes it up. So his death was possible that all people would come in, but he didn't gather all of them. So then whose job is it to help gather the sheep? Ours, right? Ours. Jesus came laid down his life, gathered some of the sheep, and then sent the apostles out and said, hey, go, make disciples of all nations, baptize them, and follow us in the Holy Spirit. The apostles took those people and said, hey, you too, go out, right? Second Timothy 2.2, 2, Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, Paul says, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There's this others focus that's all throughout scripture, okay? And so, Jesus wants us to be a part of this beautiful story. Now, I want you to feel the weight of that real quick, okay? The most important story that's ever been told, Jesus wants you to be a part of it. I don't know about you, but that's a little bit overwhelming for me, okay? Because I like can't even set my alarm clock correct this morning when it jumps forward because I forget things. He wants me to be a part of redeeming the world to himself, how crazy is that? He has called you and me to get to play a part in the most beautiful story that's ever been told that we'll be telling throughout all of eternity. You know, it says that the angels are looking and they're wondering what is going on with this redemption. And they are literally learning about the redemption and the grace of God through us, right? There's a beauty within all of this. You get to be a part of it. You get to be a part of it. And so the gravity, the weight of that is unbelievably important, okay? Now, here's what often happens, okay, when this begins to come up, is that we get this little thing called fear, right? We get this little thing called fear, and you can almost feel it seeping through your veins. Because if I were to say, that's the end of the sermon, now I want you all to go out, think about somebody today, and on your way home, call them and share the gospel with them. You'd be like, ooh, gosh, right? And you'd feel it, right? Or am I the only one? I feel that all the time, right? And I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be doing this, and I still feel this fear, okay? This, 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 this burden almost, if you will. How do I do this? This is why this passage is important. Look again at verse 4, okay? Look again at verse 4. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. Why? Because they, he know, they know his voice. He says it again in a few verses later, and then again a few verses after that. And so who draws people to himself? Us, or does Jesus draw? Jesus draws, right? That means that the burden actually isn't on you to be the winner. You're not the one who redeems the soul. You're just a mouthpiece, Right? Now, not to take weight off of, we still have a very important task, but our task is simply the mouthpiece. Jesus is the one who draws in, right? There's a beauty about that because now you can actually feel the release of having to win somebody. You simply are the mouthpiece to be able to explain to others the beauty of the gospel, right? And so you are very simply uh, somebody who can come along. You don't save people. Jesus saves people. You are saved by Jesus, and then you respond in that salvation, hoping that other people see the same thing that you saw when you first saw Jesus. You're the mouthpiece, okay? And so it is because God or the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, working in you, that when you speak, guess who they literally could be hearing? I mean, that's a logical conclusion, right? Peter talks about it. Paul talks about it. We are ambassadors of Christ, right? God making his appeal through us. 
when you talk and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, they can actually hear the voice of Jesus and come to the good shepherd. We're just a mouthpiece, but the beauty of that mouthpiece is unbelievably deep, right? You get to actually play a part in one of the most beautiful stories that's ever been told. And so Jesus is ultimately the one who draws though. And so I want you to release that fear at least a little bit, right? Scripture says God didn't give you the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Okay, so that means what is fear coming from? Either our enemy, Satan, who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, okay? Our flesh, which is against uh, ourselves even, or the world around us. But fear isn't coming from the Lord. And so we can go forth with confidence because Jesus is the one who draws anyway. We just get to be the mouthpiece. We get to see the joy of seeing other people come to know Christ, right? That's one of the things I love about baptisms, which we're doing today after service, is that I love seeing other people baptize other people because they got to see them come to know Christ, right? They, they jumped out by faith and they said, hey, would you believe in Jesus? And these people said, yeah, and then boom, they get to get baptized. That's a beautiful thing. They get to play a part in their story of redemption, right? That's awesome. And so I know this isn't a magic bullet, okay? I know it doesn't erase all fear. It's not like, now go get them, tiger, and then we all go get them, right? That's not what it is. But I do want to release a little bit off of you. You can kind of hang some of that fear onto Jesus. Jesus will take it. He's the one who does it anyway, right? And so we can hang that on to him, okay? And so one of the things that happens is when we realize how desperately we need Jesus and how beautiful he is, we'll be compelled to share his love with others as well. More on that in a second though. But thinking about missions, I want to really briefly explain our verbiage, okay? And then talk about how can we as a church help with other sheep? How can we not just be inward focused, but outward focused, not just focused on us and Jesus in the gospel, but us and Jesus in the gospel and others to come in as well, the other sheep that aren't in the fold yet, okay? And so I want to explain a little local, local, international verbiage there, okay? Firstly, local, local, okay? What does that mean? Local is where you are, and then the other piece of that local is who you're reaching, okay? Does that make sense? The first piece of that is where you are. The second piece is kind of who you're reaching. So local, local, what I mean by that is native people, if you will, people who are like you. Maybe they have been in the same culture you've been in for many years. Y'all speak the same language, kind of listen to the same things. Maybe you have a few different tastes, but ultimately you can pretty much, uh, there's no cultural barriers, if you will, right? And so maybe there are people that you work with, okay? Maybe they're your neighbors, right? Maybe they're your family members or friends that kind of live around you. You're living locally and you're reaching people locally. That's what we're talking about there, okay? And so I won't go into too much detail on this one because we talked about this before and this will in the future probably be what we talk about most because of how scripture kind of lays itself out, all right? But I want to give two suggestions that will hopefully be helpful in your local, local reach, Okay, as a church, we want to focus on different things and we'll try to reach locally around us, right? Try to invite people to Easter, if you will, or try to do different things as a church collectively, right? Like send out postcards or stuff like that. But as individuals, there are things that you can do as well, okay? One of them is I would encourage you to invite your coworkers and neighbors to Easter, all right? Easter's less than a month away, in case you didn't know that, okay? It's a very, very important time, right, in the life of the church. Did you know that that roughly 40% of people who are invited to church by someone they know on Easter will attend? 40, okay, four zero, right, not 14, 40. That's a lot. That means if you know five people, two of them will actually likely come with you if you invite all five of them. How great would it be if they got to hear the beautiful message of redemption that's preached about on Easter? Wouldn't that be a great thing? right? Remember the joy that you felt when you first came to know Christ? What if that happened to them? 
Remember the love that you feel? Remember when you're in turmoil and you lean into the man with peace? Remember how he's our good shepherd? See, when we think about that, it helps us love others better rather than thinking about ourselves and how am I gonna speak to them? How am I gonna communicate to them? What if I don't communicate effectively? When we think about Jesus as the good shepherd, it actually helps us be able to communicate better, right? Because we go, oh man, I want you to know what I know about Christ too, okay? So uh, Easter, would you be bold? Would you invite someone? Okay, I think that'd be great. The second thing that I would want you could consider doing is do a Bible study at your job. All right, do a Bible study at your job. That's one of the things we've been thinking about. How can we be strategic with where we live, work, and play? It's actually really, really easy and ironically non-confrontational when you do Bible studies at your place of employment. Okay, and here's what I mean by that. Uh, Kenny Donahue, who some of you know, he helped start the church with us actually, a good friend of mine. He was doing this before he moved away and he actually saw within a couple of weeks, 20 people coming every week to his Bible study. A lot of them didn't know Jesus. You could tell by just the conversation they would have, right? He would make some crazy claim like, yeah, like I know I'm gonna go to heaven when you die. They're like, you can't know that? <laughs> like what? You're crazy. And then he gets to walk them through. No, I have confidence because what Christ did for me and boom, that's really cool right? When I did this before, there were 22 people that were living in my dorm room, actually, so that's how we did it. And the 14 of the 22 guys came to the Bible study every week, right? Um, Austin Deodorff just started one at his job, and he already has four people that are coming to the Bible study and hopes that there are more, right? Our prayer is actually that just 10% of wherever you are would kind of come fellowship with you. Austin has 60 employees, 10%. All he needs is two more, and then he's already reaching 10% of that office, that's pretty significant, wouldn't you say, right? And so what if you did like that, okay? Now you may be thinking, I don't know how to do that. How am I supposed to do a Bible study in my job? I don't know what to do. Email me, tmayo at thewellaustin.com, okay? I would love to help you walk through that. We actually have some curriculum that we developed that is a, a evangelistic Bible study going through the book of John where there's no pre-prep, there's nothing. You come in, you read everybody together, John chapter one that week, and then I have a few questions to help you guide conversation toward the gospel, right? Then next week you come in, John 2, they don't have to do any homework, right? It's really low, low, uh, low uh, involvement, okay? Like you don't have to do a whole lot, but really high reward, all right? And so I would love you to kind of challenge you to think about, maybe it's not that, maybe it's something else. Maybe you do a prayer time. Maybe you just take people to lunch. Maybe you're just intentional with individuals, but whatever it would be, would you think about how do I help other sheep know this beautiful, good shepherd, okay? Uh, Point number two, local international, what does this mean? You're living locally, but you're reaching internationals, okay? And so did you know that Austin is, has a tremendous amount of internationals living here with us? There are so many international students or so many international refugees or so many just international people that are living right around us, literally around this as we speak right now, right? Um, in Time Magazine, actually, the, this past uh, month's article, it said that there are 18,000 Saudis living in the States. Now, States holistically, but you can actually go look at the statistics for Texas, and we are one of the, the, the places of asylum for Saudi refugees, you know that Saudi America is one of the hardest, or I'm sorry, Arabia, it's one of the, I was gonna make a joke about that. We'll keep going. We don't have time for that. All right. Uh, it's one of the hardest to reach places in the world. Okay. Like you can't just go in saying, oh, I'm just gonna go share the gospel. That's why I'm here. You won't get in. <laughs> okay. Once you do begin to do that, it's one of the highest uh, martyred places in the world. More Christians die there than almost anywhere else in the world. And actually more do die there per capita than anywhere else in the world. So it's very hard to bring the gospel into there. You don't even have to go because they're coming over to us now. 
right? They're literally in our backyard. You can live locally and win the international world right in your backyard. If you think about it, if you're strategic with that. There are other sheep. Did Jesus die for the Saudis? You're dang right he did. He wants them to know him and is doing a great work over there despite what media would point. Go look at the statistics. Everything in the Middle East is skyrocketing toward Jesus. He's doing a beautiful work there. What if we can play our part here? What if we can play our part here, right? And so um, there's a whole lot that we can go into with that. Um, but if you think about it, when you win a Saudi here, what if they actually go back? Don't you think they do a better job at bringing the gospel to their community than you would even if you got to go in there in the first place? I mean, no diss to you or to me, right? But I don't know that culture. We didn't grow up there. Unless there's a Saudi in here, then you're the only one that did, <laughs> right? But we didn't grow up there, Okay. We don't know how to speak that language. Even if we did, we don't know the, the little idioms and the little things. We don't know the different customs, right? It would take 20 years to be as effective as they can be right away. What if you reached here and they went back and won the world? That could be a really, really cool thing. The other sheep could be won through that, right? And so do you know there are 5,003 international students at UT, which by the way is a mile that way, right? One mile from where we meet every Sunday morning, Okay, there are 5,003 international students that are at that campus today. Some of you in here may actually be part of that, right? What if we reach there and then begin to see the world reach through that? The whole UT motto or uh, 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 saying, what starts here changes the world. That could be very true, right? What if we just went into our backyard, shared the love of Christ, we could change the world right? Uh, there are 119 countries represented at UT, not, in, not, not including America. So that means 120 out of the 195. That is 62% of the world is a mile away from us, right? What if we begin to reach there? There are 12,800 12, refugees that arrived in Texas last year alone, okay? Austin is one of the main cities besides Dallas that actually gets the refugees in. Right now, there are about 18,000 refugees, right? And I think I saw the graph up, put it up. Um, there are some, look at this, Iraq is massive here, right? One of the hardest to reach places is literally in our backyard. There are tons and tons of people that are coming in, right? Sudan, Somalia, Afghanistan, all places that are really hard to reach with the gospel. You don't even have to go. They're coming into our backyard, right? What if we reach there? Do you know that internationals are twice as likely to attend a religious service than nationals are? I mean, man, that's low-hanging fruit is what we call that, right? There's readiness there. They want to know what it means, right? They're curious, and then we can go right into our backyard and win that, right? And so like with Local Local, with this local international piece, I have two suggestions on how you can begin to do this, okay? Maybe you feel God moving your heart, like you're like, man, I really like internationals, but I don't see myself living overseas. This could be a really practical way that you can do that. Maybe that's what God's challenging you, calling you to do, okay? Bob and Deanna Christensen and Todd and Lindy Watkins are both in our new covenant community class, which is a great class. There are 21 people in there. They're really, really, really solid people. Um, I love both of those couples that I just mentioned. Both of them are actually hosting already or willing to host uh, missional communities that are specifically targeting internationals, okay? They have a ton, a ton of great things that are going on. The Watkins family is mainly focusing on the Hispanic community, okay? They're right, uh, 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 just a little bit north of here, really doing an unbelievable work. 
Okay, I should have asked them this yesterday, but I'm pretty sure the last time that we talked in about a year of work, they had seen almost 30 people come to accept Christ. A lot of those 30 people actually got deported back to Mexico. Guess what? We don't have to get on the political side of things, whether you think we should or shouldn't. or what, Who cares about that? What if God is literally setting this up so that you and I as Christians can see them one, and then as they get sent back home, they're sent back as missionaries, reaching places that are actually hard for us to go reach, <laughs> right? You can be a part of that. Okay, they're already doing a ton of good work. And so I would love to introduce them to you or just go find them and go join up, be a part of what they're doing and reach out to the Hispanics that are right around you, right? That could be a really, really great work. The Christian sins essentially have the nation of China, Pakistan, and India meeting in their house every week, right? Like literally every time I see pictures on Facebook, there are like 3,000 people in their house, right? Squeeze around and they, they love it. They host so many international students, okay? And they already have a ton of good work going on. You feel like God's calling you to reach internationals? Team up with one of those two couples. Go join up with them, right? They literally do things on a weekly basis where you can find community with other Christians, okay? Both of them, Todd was a pastor before, Bob was an elder. They are great shepherds. I trust both of them deeply. I would long for you to find fellowship with them, right? You can find fellowship with Christians, but also be reaching out to people in the process that may go end up changing the world, okay? So those are missional communities that we're actually going to kind of publicly or officially launch and encourage you to get into with that. That's one suggestion, right? Partner up with them, begin to love on them, or start up a ministry working with the refugee community in Austin. There's a ton of refugees that are here. Start up something, go work with them, love on them, reach out to them. They're ready. They don't even know our culture. They got sent here. They almost got forced here. They look for somebody to help them. That's a great place to go find the other sheep and draw them in, okay? Finally, international, international. This is where you're on international soil, reaching out to international people. Maybe that's short-term mission trips, okay? Maybe, Lord willing, God will send some of you out of here into the international world. I don't want you to leave. I'm not trying to passively kick you out, okay? But I do want us to go into the world, right? That's one of my prayers is actually just like 100 churches that would be sent. We'd have 100 missionaries that would go into an unreached people group full-time. Okay, they would literally move, to, uh, uh, sacrifice the comforts of America, be like Christ, die to their rights, and go reach out to people who need to hear the gospel. I pray that frequently, and I really hope that God sends some of you, right? So maybe consider, maybe that's what God's calling you to do. Maybe you can even feel it just a little bit, okay? Maybe God's beginning to turn your heart somewhat. And so two practical suggestions for this too. One, go on short-term mission trips. Okay, we have three of them coming up here soon. Go with us. Go with somebody else, even if you will, all right? I would love for you to go with us. I'd love to get to know you more. But if you can't, for whatever reason, find something. Find a way to go and see, is God drawing your heart toward another culture, okay? We have three of them. One of them is really easy. Shoot, one of them is four days. It's in Tyler, Texas. It barely even counts. We're not even going to international, so I could probably be putting the last one, right? But we are reaching international students. And so see if you can connect with them. See if you love them. See if your heart draws you toward them. See if God's calling you to go overseas long-term, right? Two other ones that we're doing are in China. Take a week off of work. Sacrifice your comfort. Go over and see if God is actually calling you to reach international students, international people with the gospel, Right? I would really encourage you to do that. The other thing, the second practical suggestion is go on a stint. Short-term international mission trip, right? Go on a year-long, a two-year-long mission trip. What do you have to lose? You know? I know many people who have done it, right? And then they've went and then gone, this isn't for me. That's, that's okay. Because what God is showing is, hey, no, actually I want you to be local, like where you're supposed to be reaching out to this type of people. That's an okay thing, 
right? But maybe God is calling you actually to go overseas or to be a mobilizer here to send people over. Whatever it may be, Jesus said a very important statement that they have other sheep. There are other people who need to hear the news that you have, right? I want you to share this with others. I want you to be bold within this, okay? Um, We're running out of time. So quickly, let me hit on something that's happening um, with a lot of us when we begin to talk in this way. When we think about missions, when we think about going, when we think about what God's calling us to do, okay, a lot of people will end up feeling guilty because they feel like they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Some of you may feel that. You think about the people that are around you, you're like, I'm not sharing the gospel with them, and you feel guilty, okay? Um, Yeah. Listen to me really plainly, okay? Guilt is a miserable motivator. Guilt is a miserable motivator. Guilt will not charge you to go up. It does spark emotion in you, okay? But it's not a positive emotion that it sparks within you, okay? Satan actually uses guilt to play on you, and it's a poison to keep you away from doing what God's actually called you to do. Okay, guilt was paid for by Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago. And if you're a Christian, you don't have to feel guilt or shame anymore because Jesus already took that up for you. But the feeling that you feel, I won't let it lay dormant though, okay? I will say there is times where the Lord kind of tries to convict us and encourage us and spur us on. We're in Texas, you know what a spur is, right? Most of you are transplants. The scripture says that to spur one another on, okay? It's a little thing in the back of your little cowboy boot that you stab in the back of the horse, right? Sometimes we feel a stabbing in us and we're like, ooh, shoot, we feel like we gotta run off, right? We feel like we gotta go. Sometimes the Lord will convict us. He will try to challenge us, okay? But I don't want you to feel guilt because there's a really fine line between those two. You don't have to feel guilty. Christ has already paid for that. What I want you to do is remember the beauty of the gospel. That's why I started with the gospel and then went into evangelism, okay? If you remember the beauty of the gospel, you're so much more likely to share the beauty of that truth with others. Does that make sense, right? Like if you're feeling guilty, you may do it a little bit out of obligation, but you're not doing it out of love and the person can even feel that. You feel like you have to do this, right? But when you do it out of a beauty, understanding the gospel, you want to go do it. Think about it like this. You ever been around somebody that is in a brand new relationship or wants to be in a relationship with someone? What do they do about that person? Talk about them all the dang time, right? That's all they do, okay? Like you're sitting down and you're like, this is a great basketball game. They're like, Bill used to play football in high school. It was crazy. You're like, what? Where did that come from, right? You're like drinking coffee. The other day when I was talking to Sally and they mentioned something so random, they want to talk about that person. Why? You're like, dang, but Sally isn't here, okay? This is what we're talking about. But they have to. They're motivated. Why? Because they are on their mind continually and out of a desire to love that person, they're compelled to share about them right? When we have a a, a on our mind about Jesus, when we are thinking about him, when we are meditating on him, when we hear the gospel, that's why church is important. We hear the gospel preached. We encourage one another. We should feel compelled to share the love of Christ with others. Not guilty. We should want to, right? Whenever I hear somebody preach, I'm like, man, I want to go share the gospel. And I get excited and I want to go. And then what happens? During the week, it kind of fades out a little bit. The world takes over. My flesh rebels against me, right? Uh, Satan begins to attack me. I need somebody to encourage me again. And then I get encouraged. I'm like, I want to go share the gospel again, right? And so just like when a person's dating someone, when our mind is fixed on Christ, we want to go share. So don't feel guilty. Don't feel guilt. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Remember how beautiful of a good shepherd 
he is. Remember the feeling that you felt when you first came to know Jesus and cling to that. Grab a hold of that and through that, let that be your motivator to share the gospel with others because Jesus has other sheep. He has other sheep that he wants to hear about the beauty of who he is, right? I was an other sheep once and somebody was bold enough to share the gospel with me so that I can share with other people. And so were you. Even if you were three when you accepted Christ, you were other sheep. And your parents or your Sunday school teacher, whoever it may have been, shared the love of Christ with you, right? Some of you, I know you. That was two weeks ago that you accepted Jesus. Other sheep, let's share that love with others. Let's pray. God, thank you. You are very, very good to us, God. I thank you that, um, Jesus, that we can actually go share the beauty of the gospel with other people, God. I thank you that we can help other people to come to know who you are, Jesus. So God, I pray that you would motivate us to do that, God. I pray that even as we're praying that we would begin to think, who is uh, God calling me to reach? Christ, I pray we would commune with you and think, Jesus, who do you want to call that's right around us? Maybe it is our neighbors. Maybe it is our coworkers. Maybe it is international students. Maybe you're calling us to sacrifice the quote-unquote American dream, which is an American lie anyway, and then lay that down and go live somewhere else and reach them. I don't know, God, but I know that you've called all of us to play a part in this. So God, teach us what that looks like. Help us to be people who go share. God, I pray, even through a message like this, that there are people in here who don't know you as a shepherd yet. I pray that you would remind them the beauty when they would hear us thinking about how do we strategically reach other people, they would see, we believe this, this is real. We're risking our reputation, we're being made fun of, whatever it may be that other people may know you. God, I pray they would see that you are real, that you are a good shepherd, that they would come to you, Christ. I pray you would remind us of how good of a shepherd you are to us and help us to come to you, Jesus, over and over and over again. Let us believe in the beauty of the gospel. God, I love you and I thank you. I pray you would motivate us in your precious name. Amen.